Welcome everybody, this is Podso One, episode three. Got my good buddy Brian Coleman here. We're excited to talk to him. He's a retired colonel, recently retired colonel from the uh, Virginia Army National Guard. He's deployed a couple times. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his family and uh, being from New York and whatever the heck he wants to talk about. So <laughs> welcome, Brian. All right, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, man. So um, we're, we're sitting in my basement. The power is out in the area. Like I think the entire county is out, maybe all of Richmond, maybe. Just about, yep. Severe wind. So Brian's coming from a house that has no power. No power. Uh, no use of, like, bathrooms, no nothing. <laughs> we have partial access here, uh, which is fantastic uh, that we can keep this going because I'm, I'm really glad you're here. So, Brian, how did uh, you meet your wife? That's a fun question. Because <laughs> I, I don't know this answer, and I've known you for 20-plus years. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's been a good 20-plus years. Uh, I met my wife, Laura, uh, in college, actually. We were uh, – I was a chemistry major. She's a uh, – chemical engineer major um and at syracuse university uh you know where all the geeks hang out we were uh in physical chemistry class together uh i was what is physical chemistry (laughs) i've never heard uh it's a six credit hour torture fest that sounds awful (laughs) it's it's uh (laughs) the best way for me to describe it it is a combination of calculus and chemistry uh, that has no relevance to life whatsoever. <laughs> um, and you got to pay, a, your parents or somebody paid a lot of money. I guess no, the family. army. Did. Yeah, the army did. That's right. So um, she, uh, you know, to hear her, her side of the story, um, I didn't really get to know her too much in class. I knew her by working in the chemistry stock rooms in the evening uh, and uh, worked uh, to take care of her lab area. Um but in class, she had, had apparently noticed me as the kid in uh, Converse high tops and a New York Yankees hat, sleeping and drooling in the back of the room. <laughs> and, uh, She's attracted to droolers. <laughs> uh, apparently, it was you know it was the age of you know the uh, late eighties, and so I was still wearing my Oxford button down shirts, and and I guess the blue drool stain on my my shirt attracted her. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So did she ask you out, or did you ask her out? Um, I asked her out, uh, and that was. Um, I mean, we had hung around casually, uh, you know, working on labs and things like that. Um, and uh, for ROTC, it was the impetus for me to ask her out because uh, I was uh, the officer in charge of our dining out. Yes. Um, and with that, uh, I had done all the planning for the meal and the event and everything that. And uh, I was not going to go because I really didn't care to be at anything like that. And uh, professor of military science uh, basically called me in. What's what's the abbreviation? PM? P- PMS. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'll come back to tell you a story about him in just a moment. But he uh, he basically called me in the office and yelled at me and told me under no uncertain terms that I was going to attend the event that night. Uh, and so I you planned asked, it. <laughs> I well I planned it and it was all mine and I was prepared to be there to execute. I just wasn't going to stay for the meal and oh, gotcha. um, she. Uh, so he made me go, and uh, because of that, I said, well, I need a date. So I asked Laura out. I didn't actually know what her last name was. I didn't get that other than by actually stealing her lab notebook to find out what her last name was. Nice. <laughs> what, is, what is her last name? Her last name was Kaup. Kaup, that's right. right. And so now I'll, I'll circle back to the whole professor of military science, yeah, the, the, the PMS. PMS. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were we going through the line, and his name was Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Hawley. He was a highly decorated finance colonel. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. 
write the checks uh, in the rear. And he yeah, was he was about your height, Paul. He was about six foot. Um, was he ruggedly uh, handsome like me? Uh, he was. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he he stood there. And he, he was a little paunch, you know, because he was towards the end of his career. Um, but I would say he was six foot three, and he had a head the size of a baseball. <laughs> so it was like I, that's I swear, awful. I, I, it was he was like six three, six four guy, and his head was probably you know his hat size was maybe like a five and a quarter. That's a that's a peanut <laughs> head. It was it was what awful. a big dude. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like I, th- I think there was like some character like that in Beetlejuice. <laughs> so, but we're going through the reception line, uh, and where you have to take your dates for the evening and introduce them to the you know the, the guest or to the to the command. Right. And I got up there and I was like you know hey you know sir this is my date for the evening, Miss Kelp. <laughs> He's like, oh, nice to meet you, Miss Kelp. And I'm like, no, sir, Kelp. Oh, Miss Help. <laughs> and I think there was one other iteration, and I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Laura just politely smiled, and she's like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> His head's tiny. That's yes. what's wrong with him. <laughs> so, yeah, that, was the, that was absolutely the first date uh, of Rarity. We actually had portraits taken, so... Uh, we actually have a commemorative photo of the first I've Laura seen and that Brian photo. date. Yes, yeah. yeah. The kids laugh at it all the time because they have those giant round glasses of the ear. <laughs> yes, so, um, those are super. They're popular. like you look like a bug. It, 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 you, you, who knows which way your eyes are going to go? You need help seeing clearly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's the next best thing to goggles. Right, right. Uh, so you're you grew up in. Upstate New York, and when anybody says upstate New York, they really just mean not New York City, I think. <laughs> That's right? so, true. So what part of New York did you run? So, yeah, the, the, as, as I explained to uh, one of the secretaries in the office I worked at at one time, half the population of New York lives in New York City. The other half lives in the other 95% of the land mass of the state. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I was upstate uh, right outside of Syracuse, right in the middle of, uh, of the upstate Finger Lakes area. Finger Lakes, that's a fun... Uh, yeah, yeah. That's how, how, how many lakes are there in the Finger Lakes? Seven. I did not know that. They're, they're, <laughs> Most people they're, don't. They're, there's trivia point one. Right. And don't ask yeah. me to name them. I grew up closest to Skinny Atlas and Onondaga. <laughs> wow. So they're all Native American names. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cayuga, Seneca. Did you apply to any colleges besides Syracuse? I did. But you <laughs> just... You cringe. <laughs> I, I, no, you were in love with Syracuse. It, it was the uh, Syracuse was the... You know, for me, I grew up in, in Elbridge, which was... 15, 20 miles outside of Syracuse. Um, and so you always, as a kid, you grew up with the limelight of, you know, SU basketball, football. The, the university was the big to-do. So it was kind of my my goal to go there at some point. Um, I applied to uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic. Yes, you did. Because <laughs> yes. you're a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rensselaer's yeah. really hard to get into, right? It was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was waitlisted, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was I was not a prime candidate there, um, and I applied to Clarkson, a couple engineering schools. At that time, that was my my goal in life. So, so what did you? So you your parents have passed, right? Both, yes. both parents have passed, and you're an only kid. Yep. What did you do in, as a child uh, in your spare time? What did you like to do besides <laughs> go to school? Wait, I feel like we kind of glossed over the oh. parents. Thing. Like, what, how old were you when that happened? Oh well, I was. Uh, uh, my mom died four years ago. And my dad just died two years ago. So. Oh, I thought Paul was saying when you were a kid. No, yeah, I, I, parents... I screwed that up. That's all. Good. Yeah, no, Paul. Yes, I was. My I was actually orphaned at the age of three. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was uh, certainly the impression. I actually lived in a gutter and ate cat food. <laughs> 
was like, uh, did that just get this, real dark? This is, a, this is the first time Brian's hung around people, actually. <laughs> it's like my trainer says I'm almost able to go out by myself. Right. Yeah, that was, I wasn't on my uh, right. game right there. Okay, yeah. Might have something to do with the fact that Brian and I are drinking bourbon right now. Uh, Do do you want to stay on the parents thing? I probably probably shouldn't have gone there. I mean, do you want me to cry? It's still a little fresh. I just, sorry, I was trying to provide context, but at the same time be sensitive. And anyway, you were much more sensitive than I was. Trust me. No, let's go back to you as a kid. Uh, Sounded like you were kind of a nerd. In a good way. No, no. Daniel's saying that as a nerd. As yes. a okay. nerd. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, clearly anybody that has ever known me knows that I'm not the smallest of children. So I was stigmatized by the Sears tough skin huskies with the rubber knee patches. So, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a fine childhood. I don't know what to say about it. Okay. Um, right I'm, I'm not going to say that my, you know, I, I hated my father and it was all my mother's fault that I grew up the way I did. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going well, there. Actually, much to her chagrin, I probably did succeed. So. <laughs> uh, at least in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but um, no, it's uh, uh, it, it was a rural area, so I'll say half my childhood was spent uh, living at my grandparents or next door to my grandparents' farm, um, and the other half was uh, spent in a small, you know, farming village, um, uh, probably ten miles away. And uh, uh, you know, at the time that I was there, it was a subdivision of you know, maybe forty houses, I think, in the whole whole division. And uh, you literally would walk across the street and you were in cornfields and things like that. And so there were no real other kids for a few years. Uh, my, my playmates were my dogs and I would go hunting with my BB gun and, you know, all the goofy things and sledding up and down the hills in the winter and having a good time. Yeah. And no screens, nothing digital. You entertained yourself? And- no, yeah. I mean, summers were kind of... I was actually... I was probably a geek because I like school because where I lived, there were, weren't that many kids. Um, mm. And there wasn't a whole lot to do. Um, and it was not the era of your parents driving you every place to take you to the movies or to your friend's house or whatever. So pretty much all summer long, I, I existed by wandering around through the fields, going fishing. Um, occasionally, I would walk through the creek bed you know a couple miles down to my friend's house because that uh about a half mile by creek bed but about two miles by foot if you wanted to walk the road so and your parents would just how how heavily did they keep tabs on you as you wandered around the no, countryside. they never did. They could care less. <laughs> well, they had, well they, there's well, no one, way to know where you were, right? No, yeah. I mean, well, one, uh, like in the summertime, my parents worked, uh, both of them, so they weren't around the house during the day. Um, you know, they trusted me that I was old enough to get up and get breakfast and, you know, wash behind my ears and do what I needed to do. If they left a list of things for me to get done, I knew I better have them done before my parents got home. And uh, that was about it. So, I mean, as long as I kept my nose out of trouble that way, that was fine. So we'd, you know, occasionally get together and we'd go to back to the school and play baseball or uh, football or whatever it was. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Can, I mean, right? <laughs> so I grew up in a similar way, but I was in a small town and there were kids around. Like, I, you learn how to be independent very early on. Yeah, I feel like you got a, the above average amount of solitude that <laughs> kids get growing up. I mean, eventually there were some, you know, neighbors and stuff. The kids were a little younger than me and, you know, we hung around and... Um, I mean, they were just, you know, the, the neighborhood buddies that you, you played with and studied with and did everything. But mm-hmm. I was, I will say I was not a loner by choice, but I kind of grew up that way and it didn't bother me. I didn't, I guess I didn't know any better. So. Right. 
It was. Did you want to go to Syracuse just because there were a ton of students there and be around a lot? No, of it was. Uh, no, it was because frankly it was the most familiar thing probably to me. Yeah. Um, they they were also Syracuse was an engineering program and school was pretty pretty highly ranked and that's what I thought I wanted to do at the time so. Um, it was a good opportunity to, to go there. I got my RTC scholarship. I got accepted to Syracuse, and so for me, that was great. I also, I got a Navy scholarship. Um, I didn't know that. Yes, I did. Wow, look at you. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was. You doubled up. They both I, wanted you. I took my chances. Was there a bidding war of sorts between uh, the Navy No, and no, it wasn't. Uh, the Army was a guaranteed four-year scholarship. That's, that's, in, that's only funny <laughs> to you and me. Sorry. The, uh, the, the Navy came back with a three-year scholarship. Uh, Those four, sons of four, bitches. Fourth-year option. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no. It, it, uh, the reason I really chose... Uh, not to go in the Navy or take the Navy scholarship was probably um, twofold. Uh, and the first one was my father, who had been in the Army, had told me, go in the Air Force or the Navy, don't join the Army. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm going in the Army. Right. I'm going to do the opposite um, what you just told <laughs> That was more of a family history thing to me anyway. That, right, right, right. Um, generations had, after generations had served in the Army. But uh, I went for the interview um, uh, down at the MEPS building in Syracuse with the Navy guy, and it was some pukey little ensign who thought he was just awesome because he was an ensign. Right. And, and, <laughs> and actually, uh, the opposite is usually true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, at that time, he's like, you know, what do you think you'd want to do? I'm like, well, if I was going to be in the Navy, I'd think I'd like to be a, a line deck officer and serve on a, a aircraft carrier or a battleship. And he's like, oh, you want to fly planes? And I'm like, pointed to my face. I'm like, I wear eyeglasses. I'm not right. fit to be a pilot. It's not going to happen, yeah. And he's like, well, if you don't want to fly, why would you Why would you think about joining the Navy? And I'm like, if I wanted to fly, I'd join the Air Force. Right. <laughs> so I was kind of just like put off by yeah, that whole awkward. interaction. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, well, the Army's fine, whatever. <laughs> well, what was his job? Was he a pilot? Uh, I, I think that's what he wanted to be. Right, he didn't right, have wings right. on. I know that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I didn't know that thing. About Half of what you said so far, I, I'm learning. That's because I'm making it up. <laughs> well, maybe but i doubt it i doubt it so uh syracuse you and laura date for the, the entire time after you met certainly and then uh, yeah we dated for about a year and a half or so was your first years. job in new york or was it in... it was okay. it was um, so what was that job so well i went for i graduated i got a job working at bristol myers uh squib That's right. um, pharmaceutical yeah. company working in the qa labs uh, got my orders to go to Fort Benning for uh, infantry officer basic. Yes. It's a <laughs> so, fun time, right? So, oh, yeah. It was awesome down there. <laughs> Let's talk about the crappiest experience you had at Fort Benning. <laughs> or uh, the best. Your, uh, your well, choice. It's, uh, it's a, hmm. What was the crappiest? I, I don't know. <laughs> the crappiest was self-imposed by, you know, being, you know, not the most physically fit and showing up out of upstate New York that never really got above 88 in the summer in right. very low humidity. Yeah, you don't want to move um, around a lot. And yeah. showing up at Fort Benning in August uh, where it was already 90 degrees in the morning in about 98% humidity and trying to run two miles. Yeah, so, brutal, uh, right? That, that netted me uh, many extra Saturday mornings of remedial PT <laughs> uh, as well as lunchtime remedial PT and after duty remedial PT. Oh, they just smoked you. Oh, we were, I did PT three times a day, seven days a week for the first three weeks I was there. Wow. It, um, did it work? I assume it uh, worked. It absolutely did. Yeah. It's a great uh, <laughs> workout and... Uh, I mean, it was fantastic. They made me all that I am today. <laughs> well, so, how long... Uh, go ahead, Dan. For the civilians... PT doesn't stand for physical therapy, does it? It does stand for physical. <laughs> uh, physical training. 
Okay. So you, you were just having to catch up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I passed everything I needed. I just wasn't, in their mind, uh, infantry ranger standards. So <laughs> it was very clear that everybody was going to be uh, super ranger standards by the time you left. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's been the mindset there for a yeah. really long time. Uh, he wishes he was doing physical therapy three times a day. <laughs> yeah, I Not think I training. needed it after I got to it. <laughs> right, so, you, should, you so should have done some every at day. At the end of the, end of the, the <laughs> you know, halfway through, it was no... No issue anyway, but um, yeah, that, I mean, that's really the one horrible thing I remember about it was just wanting to be able to sleep in one day a week past five o'clock. Yeah, so it was seven days a week. <laughs> it was seven days, yeah. We went seven days for our, our cycle. We were always um, in the field. Uh, usually, after, after the first month, we ended up getting, you know, a Sunday off. Um, you didn't mind the field time. No, the field time was great. Yeah. That was that was awesome. Because I'd already been in the National Guard, so uh, in New York, I joined the Guard while I was still in college. And so I was already familiar with most of the field tactics of an infantryman, right. um, which actually put me ahead of the, the guys in my class at OBC, which were West Pointers. Right, right. So, I mean, I would say 45% of my, my class was West Point grads. Oh, wow. Uh, they had all gone together. Um, and they were a lot of great guys. Um but when it came to field craft and, and the tactics of basic infantry, um, at that outset, they were pretty pretty weak. Um, weak because they didn't have a ton of experience. They didn't have a ton yeah. of experience, right. They did, Was that something that they were drilled on uh, at West Point? Um, you know, and even when they did their field problems, it was much more canned, um, uh, stereo, uh, not stereographed, whatever, choreographed. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. so. It seems uh, odd given this is in the... Uh, 80s, late 80s. Late 90s, 80s, yeah. early 90s time frame. And Vietnam was only, had ended 15 years earlier. I'm surprised small unit tactics in the field wasn't more of a, and field craft in general wasn't more of a thing for the West Point guys. Yeah, yeah, they could tell you in theory what it was all about, but when it came to practicing it, yeah. it was like putting on your rucksack, putting it on a frame. Most of them didn't know how to put their web gear together. Oh, really? Yeah, it was weird. That's it was, really weird. It was just like the basic soldier stuff. It's like... You would think you, you look at West Pointers and, and all their their pomp and circumstance and marching and, and all and they're that. all and they're all bright people. Well, yeah, sure. yeah, they're very intelligent. You would think that they would have had that stuff second nature, and uh, it was just foreign to them. Once uh, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about my tax money. <laughs> now that was a while ago. That was yeah, that was a while. Ago. Thirty years ago. Yeah, I'm sure it's been upgraded now. So I would I would hope so. What was the best part besides being in the field? Uh, the best part, obviously, was hanging around with the guys. Yeah. I mean, there was friends I've sort of lost touch with almost all of them at this point, you know, some 30 years later. But they were, I mean, it was just the camaraderie. Um, you know, you went through tough stuff. Uh, I just remember different events that we would go through. We had a, <laughs> our, our company commander, we were Echo Company. Um, and so we were Eagle Attack. And <laughs> we, Major Harmon was the company commander. Uh, and Captain Kinzer was our platoon uh, attack officer. Uh, Major Harmon was a three-time no-go at Ranger School, um, who wanted everybody to go through Ranger School, but I think he bore that as a, a grudge against the, the system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Captain Kinzer uh, had made it through Ranger School, and he was about six five and weighed about a hundred pounds, soaking wet. Wow! Um, it just thought that you know we should all just be gung ho all the time, <laughs> and he was. Um, he couldn't understand why we took personal delight in torturing him about certain things like 
we had the pogue stick. So he he kind of came up with a uh, a landscape timber and gave it to us. Hey, hold on, hold on. Daniel's died. Asked what a pogue stick is. I'm, yeah, I have a few, a few little terminology okay. things. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pogue stick is, you know, for, for the pogey soldiers who are you know, the last ones to finish the run, the, the, the ones that never have all of their equipment in order, basically just a... The bottom decile sort the, of Right, thing. The, the sad sack. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he, he thought it would be fun to have the pogue stick um, as a, basically as a way to basically grind you and make you want to do better. Uh, and so he would randomly pick it and give it out to people, or if you showed up late to formation, you had to carry this literal uh you know i think it was like a seven foot landscape timber around with you all day if you were in the building in, in building four at the, the infantry hall classroom you had to carry the stick around and uh while you were doing pt you had to have it you had to have it with you all the time it, it was just uh it was hazing is what it was yeah it's absolutely well, what it and was. so he thought we would all you know coalesce around this stuff so my buddies and i our squad got it for the weekend um so we Went out on Lowe's or Home Depot someplace. We painted it yellow. We put smiley faces oh, on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> painted peace signs on it. We we got a Barbie doll <laughs> and, and put her on it. So Barbie became the Pogue bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, 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 of course, callously made sure that she showed a little cleavage <laughs> in her, her bathing suit. So. Was he happy with that result? He hated it. Yes, he did. That's <laughs> he, why you did it. He couldn't stand it. So, we, so then we decided we would make it a little more army-like. So we got a combat infantry badge from the PX and, and pounded it onto the stick and said, there, it's seen action. <laughs> and uh, we... <laughs> So we carried that thing around. We put an M60 uh, machine gun um, carrying strap on it, so we didn't have to actually physically carry it. We would throw it over our shoulder. That was one of the West Point right. guys that came up. And then with that uh, you know one of the things which was obviously was a class of uh, or a clash of my my destiny for engineer day. Yes, when we nice. went, went out with the combat engineers to be trained on demolitions. Um, we went out to the field, and so the whole thing was like, okay, you're gonna you know dig the hole, put the C4 in it, tamp it down, and create a crater. We're like. Well, what better thing to do than to put the poke stick Why in the hole you? with it? I think you have to. <laughs> so we blew it up. And when Captain Kinzer came out in the evening to pick us up and take us back in, he's like, where's the poke stick? We're like, blew it up, sir. What, what poke stick? <laughs> it's like, he's like, and he just looked at us like, you're kidding. Where is it? I want it. I'm like, no, sir. We blew it up. It it went up with the, <laughs> the demolition. If you want to punish somebody, you have to punish us all. Right. We're all it, yeah. And so he was. Uh, it was funny. I think he actually almost cried. <laughs> it was like he couldn't understand how we would destroy such a a team motivating tool as the boat. But it brought you guys together. Oh, we had a great time. It, it clearly worked. Oh yeah. The whole platoon thought it was just hilarious, <laughs> <laughs> which was not the uh, the image he was going for. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Another story I hadn't heard. See, this is gold. This is all gold. The smiley like, face poke stick. Yeah, with the Barbie and showing cleavage. And, yeah, it's good stuff. With and and at scene action. Yeah. Do you think that the Do you think that your command the commanding officer was like was just letting that happen or? Was, oh no, he was so, not. No, happy. Captain Kinzer didn't like that at all. I mean, and so I was. I will say, uh, Paul Paul knows me well enough over the many years, and he's actually told me before. He's like the, the difference between he and I is Paul doesn't like injustice or or things that are are just blatantly wrong um but he tactically chooses his time to employ his authority in 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 change it i on the other hand 
expend capital on every opportunity to point out that something is wrong or stupid. So that's uh, that was the difference. I appointed myself the platoon whiner because it's like, you know, some of the stuff just needed to be stated out loud. Yeah. So uh, the, the company commander, Major Harmon, did... I would say took a fairly quick dislike to me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you've been like that ever since I've known you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's my nature. I yeah. can't change it. You know. <laughs> well, Laura, yeah. Laura once told me a little less of you would be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. And she only said that once? Uh, to my face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she's thought it many times. That's amazing. So, so uh, Daniel, you had some other stuff maybe you didn't Oh, understand. yeah. Yeah. Um, Web gear, I'm assuming, is that stuff that you can attach all the knives and guns. It's and a spy. It's a Spider-Man outfit, yeah. actually. <laughs> it's just green. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. you essentially. Well, so Brian doesn't know this. Daniel is an Eagle Scout, and so Daniel, you've spent some time doing, maybe not military field craft, but you've you've been out in the woods. You got the orienteering merit badge. A um, lot of knots, like lashing and fishing knots. Um, yeah. So and, web gear is essentially. Two straps over your shoulders right. and a belt around your waistline, and you're attaching all kinds of fun things that you'll need yeah. to uh, survive and thrive. In and the field. so the West Point guys weren't able to put it on? Or? Yeah, they, they basically didn't know how to put it all together. Because when you go through the central issuing facility, CIF, they just you walk down the line and you got your duffel bag, and they just give you tons of stuff. And you go out, and then you're out in the parking lot, and you're told to put everything together. And so they, they just didn't know how the pieces were supposed to be assembled because when they were at West Point they just got a pistol belt they didn't have the the shoulder straps and they didn't have all the other gear they got a rucksack at West Point but they never had the frame to put it on which Uh actually makes it tolerable to be able to carry weight they so they just basically had a a canvas bag with shoulder straps on it so yeah. And you had already had experience with the web. Yeah, here. I had already done that all with. Uh, he was already in a, a, a military unit that had to yeah. actually function in the field. Yeah, yeah. Wait. So that was before you went to Fort Benning's. You had already been. Yeah, I was. I was had joined the National Guard while I was in in college. Yeah. And that's different from R, the ROTC. Yep. That you were doing. Yeah. Okay. And you had a. I wanted to rewind a little bit as well here, but you had a civilian job, um, in that lab, mm-hmm. and then when the army called you up to go to Fort Benning's. Did you, 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 you're throwing an S one. It's Benning. That's just Fort Benning? When, when we have like 100 listeners, one or two of them may be familiar with Fort Benning, and I want them to know that we, we also understand it's Fort yeah. Benning. Yeah, Paul's like civilians. There's not, there's not some dude that says, I possess this, and so it's Benning's. Well, I feel like somebody could have a last name, Benning's. They could, but like, in this case, that guy doesn't exist. Yeah well. yeah, well, he did. He did, but not with the S. That's right, no S. Benning. So it's, it's kind of a weird name, yeah. So you you went into that job knowing like that. Oh yeah, I, I knew I was going to get orders to go to training. Um, and and is training like a six month period that you then come back from, or is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. Uh, so I was in the National Guard, and that's what I got assigned to um, when I got my commission. Um, so I finished ROTC, was done with college, mm-hmm. got commissioned. Was that your top choice, infantry? Um, it it was not. What was your top? <laughs> so I changed my my top my top choice was actually, believe it or not, was Quartermaster Corps. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, ash- I'm ashamed to admit it. Wait a minute. And they sent you to bidding? 
Uh, no, so I, and this is another one of those weird little stories. Colonel Hawley with the baseball pea-sized head. <laughs> we, we, of course, you know it's a Monday. It's a Monday morning, um, and we're all getting all the seniors um, in our OTC in our class are getting phone calls at like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning that we all needed to be present uh, at seven o'clock at the uh, Archibald Stadium or Archibald Hall, which was where the ROTC building was, um, to get our uh, our assignments for commissioning. So um, it's an exciting day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you should, yes, because that's where you're going to find out, do you go active duty or are you assigned to the reserve component? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your branch going to be? So what's your job likely going to be? Um, and Colonel Hawley had spent a good deal of time uh, with the seniors, um, the, the MS4 cadets, telling us what he thought you were going to get, what you should put down, uh, based on your college major, your performance in, in school, as well as at uh, uh, advanced camp, um, all of these things. And, you know, I walked in and he's like, you know, Coleman, um, you know, let's be honest, you're a chemistry major, you're a four-year scholarship um, so recipient. Um, your grades are okay. Um, there was, you know, I was a basically a B minus average, I guess. Um, you were taking really hard well, courses. <laughs> I was also really probably lazy too. But uh, as long as my son doesn't hear this, <laughs> so I'm sure uh, he'll never listen. To this. Yeah, I'm sure he won't. <laughs> um, uh, I was a three at camp. You can be rated a, a one to five. I was a three, middle of the pack. That's solid. Was, everything Brian's saying applies to me, by the way. <laughs> it was, it was, well, I was like, you were, you were like 70% of the people there, right? If you right. were in that. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. you weren't horrible. You weren't like a standout. Um, we'll let you through the gate, but you're not amazing. Right, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and so we, we went in and uh, he went around the room with everybody and he's like, he just, he read my name off and then he stopped. And I'm like, oh. God, what's this? This is like the full metal jacket moment. Oh, oh yeah. It was, I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's like, holy shit, I'm going to get some active duty chemical corps or something horrible like that. And he's like, Coleman requested reserve quartermaster assigned reserve quartermaster. And he almost it almost killed him to actually say I got what I wanted. I was the only one in the class that actually got what I asked for. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I had friends who were fluent in four languages. Um, I mean, when I say fluent, I mean they could read, speak, write perfectly um were political science majors wanted military intelligence um and it, it, she's still a good friend today she, she was actually assigned active duty engineer uh, to a vertical construction platoon doesn't make any sense <laughs> no engineering no math background it, it's in like it. nobody's paying attention N- nothing yeah um <laughs> so uh it, it just kind of funny how it all worked out but uh as soon as i got that my my class advisor he's like you don't really want to be in a quartermaster court do you and i'm like no. <laughs> and he's like, good, because I got you the last infantry slot in the state of New York. So, oh, wow. Um, th- and that was it. And that put me in the infantry, which was great. I actually, I'm very grateful that he did that, because frankly, knowing what I know, if I had been in the Quartermaster Corps, I'd have probably cut my wrist. <laughs> yeah, well, so you're, uh, yeah, you like camaraderie. You like being around guys. Yeah. Yeah, infantry is the place to be if you want to do that. Engineers not a bad place to do it. Well. Well, engineers were. I mean, that was on my list. That was actually number two on my list. So, um, so wait, what is the quartermaster corps and why is it bad? It's not it, bad. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's a necessary a, thing, right? It's, but if you're an individual that want, wants to get some amazing experience, um, you you don't want to be the guy who has to make sure everybody has all the food they need to eat and the uniforms they need. What are there? Ten classes of supply. There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's, it's yeah. yeah, it's all quartermaster corps at, at that time. It's changed. It's actually evolved. It's uh, it's logistics corps mm. now. Um, so it's a much more 
broader approach. But at that time, Quartermaster Corps literally was managing the classes of supply uh, and ordering it and moving it from a depot to a line unit. And but you didn't actually do the movement. You just arranged the coordination you, yeah, of you it. Yeah, And then the transportation right. guys moved it. So it was literally like I'm a giant store clerk. <laughs> so. And you picked that as your first choice? Yeah, it was more out of spite. Oh, it, it okay. Was a, <laughs> it's just like the, it's the story of Brian's life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to see the, the pattern. The, well, yeah. there, was, there was some humor to it. I mean, I, yeah, we went through, I think Paul and I both went to uh, ROTC Advanced Camp at Fort Bragg. Yes. Uh, North Carolina. What year did you go? I was uh, 80, when did I go? 88. Yeah, I was in 90. No, No, I was 89, I guess. 89, yeah. Yeah. Summer before. And so everything down at Fort Bragg revolves around the 82nd Airborne, 18th Airborne Corps, and um, Airborne everything. And so literally you have this, this like, uh, uh, the, the branch day displays and things where they show you the might of the United States Army in about eight hours and everything that it can do. And one of the things that was out there was, hey, we're the, we're the 14th Quartermaster Company. We're, we're Airborne Bakery. And I'm like, Air, Airborne Bakers? <laughs> like, what the? We can bake 18,000 loaves of bread a day from our air mobile, air droppable hey, ovens. Hey, for <laughs> anybody that was in the uh, Airborne ba- Baking ba- Unit, right. uh, no, no disrespect. Unit, Daniel is laughing <laughs> profusely right now. But it, it was it was really good bread. I'll say that. <laughs> it had to be amazing. It was awesome. There was like airborne finance, and the guy drops out of the airplane with his chute. I don't remember and, doing and, that and the next briefcase year. In in his dress blues at a wow. time when the dress blues were the dress uniform. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he you know shows up. It's like, hey, finance from above. And it, so to me, it was a big joke. It was like, yeah, why not be quartermaster? It's like. <laughs> Plus, it drove the unit first sergeant nuts, and you know, and you don't mind driving people nuts at that time. No, I'm more of a conformist now, <laughs> but not entirely. No, a little bit more, not, not entirely. I don't remember that day at Bragg. Yeah, it was it was like the million dollar minute because they took you out. They well, showed, I, I love the million they dollar minute. They showed you that, but then they had all the various branches set up, and you know, they were airdropping everything left and right that could be airdropped. We're the we're the airborne typewriter unit. Yay! <laughs> so the back to the million dollar minute. The thing I remember from Bragg, and we had something similar at Officer Basic Course. Yeah, we had it at Benning and that. Yeah, uh, I got to see an actual carpet bomb. That was awesome. Explode! <laughs> explode! I'm like, what did I just witness? I have. What, what are the dimensions of a carpet it, it bomb? Covers, back then? It covers like a hundred meters by 100 meters and so it, and it falls out of the sky to hear this little poof in little, the air bomblets and, yeah and then there's like literally just a, a square that is covered in nothing but flying shrapnel <laughs> the same species that invented the wheel invented this <laughs> unholy awful destroyer of all things that are inside that 100 meter by 100 meters yeah. i couldn't believe what i was seeing and that was back in late 80s early late 90s. 90s yeah no crazy theory. Wow. Yeah. And you haven't lived until you've seen an M1 Abrams tank airborne going off of a ramp shooting. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. That's it's crazy. Right? Think about the things that are out there in the, in the military and our and when you system. When you mean ramp, you mean. They had built like a dirt ramp yeah. to, to cover it. I mean, and this, so I would say it was probably seven, eight feet high at the, the and, and they came up there at about 40, 45 miles an hour off the ramp. 
wheeled the turret to the right and fired downrange <laughs> as it went airborne. I'm like, it yeah. was just crazy. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've never of seen course, that. Of course, I'm sure that probably that. cost, you know, $20 million in repairs afterwards. <laughs> Once again, my, my, our tax money at work right there. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's yeah. one of those no, things. Reagan was, was it Reagan or Bush was in the office. We had plenty of money then. Yeah, Reagan had just left. Yeah. Good times. What were you going to say, Daniel? That's just, that's, that's one of those things that you, you hear about and you're like, only in America. Right. The, yeah. the, the excess is amazing. Yeah, yeah. The Russians but wish I they could it. do that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good times. What's a, a, a million dollar minute? <laughs> so million dollar minute is it, it, it costs more than that for sure. That that's the point where in a very short display that probably doesn't last more than five to eight minutes, really. Yeah, it's not that long. They they will display the basically the might of the United States military, the Army, Air Force, uh, basically coming together, um, and they will fly over and they will they'll be dropping like a company out of an airplane. So you will see the, the the paratroopers dropping higher level. They'll come over and drop both like 500 pound bombs uh, and the carpet bomb um, piece. Helicopters will fly in 105 millimeter howitzers, basically air mobile, drop them. Within like a minute and a half, those guns are set up and they're shooting rounds down range. Humvees came in with the tow um, anti-tank system in shot. And so you basically have all of a combined arms military unit coming together right in front of your eyes. Because you're, you're sitting in bleachers watching this in front of you as it's, it's laid out. And they're just shooting everything basically at the Army uh, disposal uh, and Air Force in front of you taking out tanks and you know trucks and targets downrange and, and they call it a million dollar minute because that it probably cost i bet you that that display probably was anywhere from uh you know eight to nine million dollars in munitions weapons uh in, in air airframe cost and yeah so I've, def- I've never like how have i never heard of that or is was it demonstrated for military people to see yeah it is and and they'll do it for civilians as well i mean there's a lot of i shouldn't say a lot of like like for families sometimes get invited a lot of uh dignitaries congressmen senators where the army the military in general and the air force and the navy do the same things where they try to demonstrate one the systems and how they're employed the training that is now they've talked about training how it culminates in the ability to be able to move in and do that so wow yeah the only time i ever hear about like military demonstrations especially with like a lot of extravagance are other nations and they're off, often like kind of getting bashed for being like cocky and arrogant yeah those are pr moves for right, the yeah. country that's not what we're doing <laughs> like, so it's, like hey mr senator you spent your money wisely right uh, and oh by the way even if the money's I would argue the money is being spent wisely. All kidding aside about taxes, right. is it is an awesome training opportunity for the soldiers that are involved in that. Right. And so that's as close as you're going to get to real combat right. by doing those sorts of things. And so why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. And it's worth it, eight to nine million dollars. Well, that, I mean, this is that's back just, in those days. That's it, just my guess on it. I mean, those everybody called it the million dollar minute. <laughs> but, but on that order of magnitude, I mean, it's just a lot. Yeah, of, and well, if you consider like flight hours for C one thirties and here, show, um, da- show Daniel. Zach's look, Zach is on the fourth mic. Zach's looked it up. Yeah, and da- Daniel's eyes are very wide right now. It's all, it's all on Google, man. I'm definitely going to look this up. <laughs> but but to your point about other countries doing it, it it's. It's to show their might right. as a country. We're doing it 
uh, it's a much more internal sort of okay. endeavor. Yeah, because I feel like I would get really fired up and, and proud to be an American if I if I saw that stuff. Just talking to Brian May should be enough for, for you <laughs> oh, to get fired yeah. up. That too, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, in yeah. fact, you may want to stand at attention. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. If I was like, what if I had? What if I was a? Uh, what do you call it? Private or yeah, low, yeah, enlisted guy. If I was that right now, and and we were doing this, we might not be doing this. First of all, but would I be calling you guys sir? And what do you guys think? Preferably, you would do that. Yes. yes. <laughs> so it's just the context the protocol. Fact yeah, that I'm a civilian and you're not. Huh. Yeah, you can call him Brian and me Paul. Okay. But if you were private and, and we were all in uniform, for sure, you'd be saying so. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I feel, uh, I don't know. I feel like I should be more uh, <laughs> ceremonious or honoring. I mean, Brian will, take, Brian will take the sir. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, he won't stop you. It's, uh, it's, I've been known to actually tell people to call me Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel, Colonel Coleman rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, really it does. does. It's, yeah. it's C-O-L, C-O-L. That's how it, it starts. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, you, probably the uh, biggest day of your life was the day you met me, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, I would say that, right? Uh, I, I would have to put you at the top. Um, is it, uh, it does eclipse, uh, marrying Laura and having my two children. Yeah. Yes. So I, I, that's what I assume. Going <laughs> Naturally. Out. Yeah. We won't talk about which kid is fourth out of, out of that list. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. not Zach. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so in, in all seriousness, Brian and I met back in 90, like 94. Yeah, I was gonna say ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. yeah, when I got transferred to the uh, engineer. Was I was I in the unit when you first? No, showed I can tell a funny story no. about that. Oh, <laughs> I'm probably not gonna like this. Go ahead. So, now I, I'd been in the infantry uh, brigade, second brigade of 29th division, that had been um, uh, miraculously deactivated, uh, mostly pending an abysmal failure. At, uh, unceremoniously uh, deactivated. At, yeah. Uh, yeah, at uh, Fort Polk, um, and so. Uh, I actually had requested to stay uh, with my unit um, out in Farmville that was converting to a field artillery uh, battery, um, but they decided that they needed engineer officers more, so they transferred me to the uh, engineer battalion in Fredericksburg, uh, 229th Engineers. Um, so I showed up. Um, uh, interesting, Paul wasn't there. I think I was probably there for three, maybe two or two and a half, three yeah. months before I actually met Paul. Um, we were both in Alpha Company. Paul was actually in the uh, XO yeah. slot. Yeah. I was assigned as a uh, sapper platoon leader, um, uh, you know, and I showed up at the battalion. Paul was apparently unbeknownst to me. Uh, I'd heard the name, never met him, but he was off at uh, SF. Uh, AS, yeah. A, yeah, yeah. I was, I was failing. I was yes, in the midst so, of failing SFAS. Yeah, so. I, and I didn't know this, but uh, I was in the office when he finally reported back, and there was something, I, I mean, it was alleged I wasn't there, that he somehow had a land navigation issue and tried to walk on the roads instead of going through the swamp or something like that. Yeah, that's basically it, the story. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'd say any smart person who can walk on a road and go faster and easier and not get caught, I would say that's why, pretty smart. Why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> it seems like a very reasonable thing. The smartest thing would be to do that and not be caught. Right. <laughs> At least not twice. <laughs> no, it was only once. Was only, oh, I thought you got uh, caught only, twice only on one. that. So. Well, maybe. I thought you got a warning. I, I only knew about it. <laughs> so. No, it was only one time. And you were trying out for something? 
Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. All right. But anyway, Brian and I were in the same company. <laughs> yeah, we're so the same we, company. We were around yeah. each other for a while. I, I think I was there another few months in Alpha. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then you went where after Alpha? So we were we were there for about uh, close to nine months or so, I think, together. Yeah, and then right. um, uh, somehow or another, I managed to uh, distinguish myself by running a rifle range, which was apparently a task uh, not, not equal to the uh, platoon leader that had been assigned to it. Um, and as an infantry guy, that's all we did is run ranges. So, right, shoot, move, communicate, um, I, right? You do a lot of shooting. Impress somebody. So the battalion commander asked me to interview for um, a company command slot. Uh, oh, of, you, of, you were going to skip XO? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, when Brian showed up, Brian, Brian, you were senior to me. Uh, I was a first lieutenant, but yeah. I don't... Uh, <laughs> I think you were senior to me by a year. Yeah, and because, because you yeah. weren't an engineer, engineer originally, yeah. you were kind of like, hey. We're, we're, well, they assigned me to, I think what I got, my official billet was to put me as a brigade engineer um, on the, the MTO. Oh, that's right. That's but right. Uh, Colonel um, Meade <laughs> said, you, you, you don't know nothing about engineering, so you're going to be a platoon leader and learn. And so at that point, I, I became a separate platoon leader uh, and assumed uh, control or, or leadership of my seventh platoon. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I did okay. You were pretty good at it by then. I, well, I thought I was. But yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, with that, all, all that being said, so yeah, Paul and I were together. Um, Paul was also asked to interview for, uh, is, he, and he had already been the executive officer of the company, so I was still a platoon leader. And the XO is is above a platoon leader. He's the second in command of the company. Um, and so technically Paul was my boss, although I never really listened to anything he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's the battalion commander had looked at, you know, asked both of us to interview. And Paul's like, for what unit? And it was Bravo Company, which was in Warrington, which is another hour drive past Fredericksburg. And Paul's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not only I interviewed. Uh, no, you didn't. You actually refused to interview. Yeah. You were supposed to show up, and, and he didn't. And then I, that sounds like a move. And I then, I, and then I, th- <laughs> apparently, he's a little obstinate too. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, uh, no doubt. We, uh, <laughs> so I think like on a Sunday morning they conducted the interviews, and uh, I think Paul grudgingly got dragged into it against his will. Yeah, I was out um, of uniform, and uh, you I was know, wearing a different uniform because I didn't plan on an interview. I went. So needless to say, Paul torpedoed himself uh, and said he didn't want it. I got the job to go to Warrington. Uh, and then a month later, Paul actually gets command of Charlie Company, and I'm still waiting as the XO of Bravo Company to take command for six months. <laughs> and so this begins the saga of until your last promotion, I got promoted like a month or two in front of Brian every time. Every time. Really? Yeah. Every time. <laughs> huh, I wonder when I'm going to get promoted. Well, Gilman's going to have to get promoted first and then wait a couple months and then yeah. I'll get promoted. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think literally after that, every promotion, he was literally like 30 days ahead of me. <laughs> It's because he whined all the time at uh, Fort Benning. It's true. Wow. And <laughs> you guys both had different strategies of working your way up. Uh, I didn't pull that same move again. <laughs> no, I, I learned from that. I'm like, say oh, we you were... think I'd piss some people off. No, we, we did. Uh, we, I say we had separate and parallel paths. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the next big military gig for me was as a company commander. Which you uh, did for a really long time. Uh, just shy of five straight years, yeah. And I did four and a half. Yeah, but yeah. you had two companies. I had the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Paul got the, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a privilege or a curse. Hey, Paul, you're either the worst company <laughs> commander or the best. We're not sure, but you get right. He went from company. Charlie Company to Headquarters Company Command. And so, which was probably the most thankless job you could have in a battalion is Headquarters Company Commander because you deal with all the. Charlie was more fun. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Being in a line unit is always more fun. So. Yeah. 
for but sure. We did. Uh, All right, so let's talk about uh, your first deployment. Okay. Because <laughs> you deployed <laughs> right, as for, a company yeah, commander, right? right? For, I, I did. I was yeah. uh, was Sapper Company commander, Bravo Company. Um, battalion commander had, uh, uh, again, uh, called us in. Uh, <laughs> what, was this, what was it? Colonel Coster. Yeah. And uh, Major Knapp was the battalion XO. And so we go through this, I'll say, torment uh, over the course of several weeks of talking about whether or not they were going to send uh, an a engineer uh, task force to Bosnia, Herzegovina, as part of uh, uh, Stabilization Force 10. Um, Noble Eagle, right? Operation Noble Eagle? Mm-mm. Oh, that was, that was, that after, was, that was, that was uh, 9-11. 9/11. Yeah, so, I'm mixing operations. <laughs> yeah, so up. we got to... So again, Paul and I, of course, were the only two company commanders on the bubble to be considered to take the only deploying company. Um, and I, either they felt we were either too stupid to say no, or they actually felt that maybe somebody with a, uh, <laughs> a, a sense of commitment to the soldiers needed to be deployed to go. I'll, I'll take the latter. I think that that was what their, I think it was the latter. their, height, yeah. their, their, their hearts were at that point to, to make sure the mission was successful and the troops were taken care of and we had... Um, I'll pat myself on the back and Paul, uh, you know, twice on the back for this. I think we distinguish ourselves as taking care of the unit and our troops uh, and trying to get the job done uh, in the right way um, over some of our peers. That's certainly where our heads and uh, hearts were. That, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we get called in one night uh, after a command and staff <laughs> meeting to the girls' office. Such a long day. To, <laughs> right. So we've already been at work, you know, our eight or ten hours, whatever it is. And then we went to a three-hour command and staff meeting. And so it's like 10 o'clock at night in Fredericksburg. I don't miss those. And they – who would? God. <laughs> and they called us into the office, Paul and I, to make their dis- announcement of who they were going to decide to send on this 100% volunteer mission. So <laughs> right. Paul or I were going to be voluntold we were going to go. Right. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> – it comes down to oh you're both great officers you're both really good we we, we couldn't make a um, a bad decision with either one of you um, you know Brian uh, you know it, I think this is an honor for you we we've decided to pick you to deploy because you, basically it came down to data rank meaning meaning <laughs> Brian had been promoted before me but not really so they thought <laughs> so literally had- Brian went to Bosnia Herzegovina based a, on dangerous part of the world ba- based on <laughs> Uh, an admin problem, like the the data was in, uh, inaccurate. Yeah. They, now they they could have said that to protect my feelings or something. I don't know. Like it was, a, hey, we're gonna use a very basic tiebreaker, but data rank. <laughs> he and I joke about this data rank thing. Like we know our dates of rank. I thought you just. I thought that you got promoted first. I did. You, no, they. No, 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 I no, got no. I got selected for command first. Paul got selected after me, but actually got promoted ahead of me. Okay, so being selected for command is a different, different event right. yeah. than your rank changing. Yeah. Okay, so they probably, okay. There, so, there was a clerical error, and Brian went to Bosnia. Yeah. In a nutshell, yes, that's exactly it. Uh, How long were you there? Uh, it, the deployment was uh, 10 months. We were nine months uh, in country. Yeah, was there any part of that that you enjoyed? I think you enjoyed being with the I, troops. Again, being with the troops. So if you're in the military, you ever have to deploy, uh, being a company commander would absolutely be the best job ever. If you if you weren't a platoon leader or company commander on a deployment, um, the rest of it basically sucks. <laughs> so um, it was good. I mean, we, we, we got the company ready. Um, we were actually to the point that our company of sappers, engineers, was – further ahead uh, in the preparation than pretty much every other unit in the 29th Division getting set to go. 
um, to the point that they didn't actually know how to validate us uh, at Fort Dix at the MOBE station to to be able to clear us to go. Um, I mean, we qualified on 50 KL machine guns 15 different ways. Um, and I think they oh, did. So they were making it up. How to they, they were making it up. And when we would go to the validation board, they were like, well, we, you didn't fire with night vision. I'm like, well, that wasn't on the roster of things we had to do. So Okay, I guess and, we're going to do that now. And we would do it. And, and, you know, so every time we just kept coming back with, we did what you told us. Um, and they finally cleared us. I mean, it was inevitable. We were all going to go. But right. um, it was uh, kind of a waste of time in that they didn't really know at that time how to mobilize and deploy units. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, that, by the way, was... That was 90... That was uh, uh, 2000 and... It had to be 2000. It's probably 2000. Uh, in the, into 2001, probably. So this was yeah, after the um, all the unrest from the was it in the early to mid 90s with uh, Bosnia and Croatia and that whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this okay. was after uh, the NATO had moved into the formal former Yugoslavia um, to basically keep peace to restore order uh, to the civilian uh, you know network um, mm-hmm. and basically the tail end of the war. And so we were. Um, it was a. Uh, it was two thousand and one. Yeah. Okay. And because <laughs> we, we were in command a long time, I forgot. And I'm right. <laughs> sitting there. That, that may be the actual power coming back. Okay. On, that flickering. Um, so I moved my company. We started to deploy into in theater into Europe, uh, into Bosnia. On uh, I went in probably on September. I think it was fifth or sixth. Uh, it was like I left the Tuesday after Labor Day. Two thousand and one. Of two thousand and one. So. I left. I was already in country uh, with the advance party waiting for my company to come in. Um, all 80-some-odd number of my Joes, it was 87, was the number of troops I had. But uh, I think it was 81 because I had six people on the Advan party, the advance party. Got on the ground on September 10th, um, and we started immediately doing oh, what's called of course you know left, sight, right sight, left seat, right seat ride, where... We were relieving the 3rd Infantry Division from their rotation in Bosnia, so we came in behind them. And so we had all, just gotten everybody in, literally just got all the boots on the ground. We had started to work with the engineering unit that we were replacing um, uh, in September. I think it was September 9th we actually got on the ground. September 10th went fine. September 11th, I was sitting in the, uh, the coffee shop with uh, my first sergeant, uh, Ed Bonner, um, great, we, great dude. Shout uh, out to Ed. Aw- Love awesome, Ed. awesome guy. Yeah. Awesome guy. Um, and we were sitting there trying to figure out what had to happen uh, to basically validate the left seat, right seat ride to complete the handoff. So it, a lot of administrative uh, tasks had to be handed over. Um, and some specialist came running through. He's like, turn turn on the, the, the I call it AFARTS, the, uh, the Armed Forces Radio Television Network right. on the TV that was in there. Um, we turned it on just in time to see the first tower fall um, it, for 9/11. Uh, so that that was uh, in a in a, <laughs> it was gut wrenching because you're kind of it was very surreal to me because I wasn't here. We hadn't heard it any surreal. Of, any it of was surreal news. here. It had to be. Super yeah, surreal I mean nobody here. knew any of that. That was just somebody runs through us. It turns the TV on. So um, it, you know, as we we kind of sat there. I mean, it, it, to me, it was. Um, you know, we, we were there for peacekeeping missions and everything was supposed to be basically a fun tour. Um, and that base at, at Tuzla, where we were stationed, everybody went from peacekeeping, basically routine operations, to war footing overnight. Um, and so I, I immediately 
recalled my company, uh, the, uh, the patrols that were out, you know, getting familiar with the, the area, uh, sent my supply sergeant to the ammunition holding area, the, or the basic load, the Blaha, we called it, basic load ammunition holding area. And I told him, I'm like, get all of our ammunition. I want full combat load for every soldier. I want all the crew served, uh, you know, chain link ammunition. Um, and I, I said, pull out our, our demo. Um, because I wanted it all readily available because in my mind I figured we could, not that we were going to be attacked directly, but we could be dispersed and deployed out uh, into other areas so we weren't congregated in uh, in an area because right around Tuzla is a very heavily Muslim area, population for the most part. We went through all of that. I, we were actually the only company that got all of our ammunition out. Sergeant Forrest Bogan, another shout out. Yeah. Great good, good. supply sergeant, just all around good guy. Yeah, really good guy. Yeah. He he didn't he didn't wait to be given finite orders in detail. I said, that's what I want. He got on it, went down, drew all that ammunition out. By the time he got everything out and was leaving the Blaha, he's like, Sir, he's like, every every unit and the face of the earth that's got ammunition there is lined up trying to get in and they wouldn't let them in and release ammunition. So uh, <laughs> the good news and the bad news is, yeah, I prepared the unit for whatever could happen. The bad news was because we were the only ones with our full load of, of ammo out of the Blaha, we immediately assumed guard mount on, on the base. Um, our guard mount, uh, I forget the total number of troops, but we would normally send eight soldiers a day to guard mount to man the, uh, the guard post and roving patrols. Our, our accountability for the first two weeks was 97 soldiers to be on uh, yeah. on heightened security. And I'm like, I only have a company of 89. <laughs> so literally some guys were working basically 20-hour days uh, to be able to man it. And we tried yeah. to manage the rotation, but it was <laughs> – so we did that for about two weeks, and it started to calm down a little bit. But Yeah, it had to be crazy – heightened sense of oh, bad yeah. things might happen any well, second and, and it was and there were weird i'll say some weird things that you might expect not nothing huge but there were uh, a few sniper uh, incidents and i'll say sniper somebody firing you know rifle rounds across the wire into the base um we had some locals basically drop anti-tank mines in the road at the front gate um <laughs> they, they didn't plant them they dropped them in the middle of the night so i mean it was uh you know nothing Harmful. There had been a, a hand grenade attack against a Russian fuel convoy, and at mm. that time, you know, unlike today, you know, the Russians were our friends at that point. Right. Um, so we worked with them, um, and just some weird things. We 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 seized a a private airfield which was suspected of um, harboring Al Qaeda terrorists, uh, with the thought that they had something like sarin nerve agent there, um, and so that was a little unnerving. Um, that you're, I was actually, you know, going and getting mop suits, which was the chemical protective suits, and atropine injectors and things like that for soldiers to use. We've been trained on all that, but, you know, it was the last thing in my mind. I'm like, we're going for a peacekeeping mission in Europe. What could possibly happen? Mm -hmm. I'm literally trying to hunt down atropine injectors because some of my soldiers could potentially be in, in that level of harm. So different, definitely different uh, perspective. Tell the... Uh... By the once again, you're you're now up to like seventy percent of this is news to me, seriously, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. I, I love hearing these stories. Uh, there was a mission where you may have disagreed. We, we'll leave the names out to uh, protect <laughs> to the, protect the innocent the, the, or the guilty. Uh, where 
there was a mission to retrieve something and, and you disagreed <laughs> yeah, with yes, the that, uh, that's, this one I've shared with you the, the higher rank I, I love this story but let's leave the names out <laughs> yeah so so no names mentioned um, one of the things that we were doing as engineers we did a lot of various missions um, we built bridges we conducted demining operations where we would mark and take out landmines and anti-personnel mines um, reconnaissance all that stuff one of the things, of course, engineers are noted for is they always like to build engineer castles out of whatever scrap materials they have, you know, as sort of a little monument to the Corps of Engineers um, and put all of it, uh, you know, out there for display uh, for all the other units to see and, you know, marvel at. Um, <laughs> one afternoon I was in my office um, and a superior officer to me came over um, and it's sort of in his characteristic uh, mode of operation, pulls up a chair, very great guy, uh, very but, friendly but, guy. But he's very, like, you know, very hometown. Just, you know, he pulls up a chair in front of my desk. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Like, like it's 1957. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like, yeah. got a mission for you. It's like, there's a Sherman tank out, and he gave me some grid square, showed me on the map. And I think it would be great if we retrieved that tank and brought it back here and got it painted as a monument. And I'm like, it, it's a, is it operable? Uh, no, it's just, it's just sitting there. So this is really a, a World War II U.S. Army Sherman tank. It had probably been abandoned or sold after the war, you know, to somebody. Anyone wants to go out there, and I'm like, I'm just looking at the maps, and to me, I'm like, it's a minefield. Well, you want me to go out and clear a path to go get this tank, which may or may not be in a minefield, but I'm like, they're not farming it. And over in, in Bosnia, if there was a piece of, of ground that could be planted and farmed to make to grow food, they would. And if there was a field that was just vacant with no sheep or goats in it, not chances are it was a minefield. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, and they know better than you did, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the goats knew where not to walk. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of three-legged goats and sheep over there. So right. um, he's like, wouldn't that be great? And I'm like, I don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, if it had been anybody else, I'm sure, you know, they probably would have literally had rights to have me court-martialed. But I basically, I told him to his face, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Unless you give me a written order and it's signed by the task force commander, <laughs> if, because, so, because <laughs> he was not in the command position, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he was. And so he, he was a little, he was a little pissed, <laughs> um, and probably rightfully so. But I'm like, I, I didn't feel it was. <laughs> it, my arrogance was I wasn't going to risk a soldier's life and waste time and effort on something like that. A when, souvenir when we had other other missions that were already approved by division headquarters to run and right. Um, it would have been cool, yes, but at the end of the day, I'm like that. I, I would not have been able to live with myself if you know, anybody even been hurt, even in a traffic accident. So, I'm like, it wasn't worth it to me. It was a it was a tank that we didn't have have to have. So, no, I, I agree with your logic. I don't have the uh, the guts or the wherewithal to do what you did. I really don't. Um, I, well, I think I was, you, you could argue it's I was unethical. Arrogant, I was arrogant and stupid. So. Well, you could argue it was unethical. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, you, I didn't you make that argument. I won't even say it was that. It just to me, it was it's one of those things that. And Paul has known me long enough now. If, if I think it's stupid, I just say so. And that was one of those, this is just stupid to me, and I didn't It's really refreshing. It. <laughs> mm. Wow, he's uh, saying what everybody's thinking. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, much to my detriment most of the time. Yeah, I, I, uh, Daniel 
thinks of me, I think, as somebody who speaks his mind pretty uh, openly. You, you, yeah. you haven't heard anything. <laughs> well, right, yeah. I'm, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering right now what you would have done had you been in that chair. Uh, I would have eventually gotten to us not going after it, but I would have done it in a less direct and blunt way. I, I had times like that over there, too. Yeah, you have to. You can't be like that all the time. No, yeah, there was, oh, we need you to go plow this road in the middle of a blizzard in the mountains. I checked with the infantry task force. I'm like, when's the last time you guys used this road? I'm like, that road hasn't been run in three years. Right. Nobody <laughs> nobody runs that. Period. But again, same infantry on you. Oh, we need to we need to plow that route. We gotta get that route open. And I'm mm. like, nobody's using it for anything. Like when it's nice outside, nobody uses that. Right. Route. Yeah. In the summer. I mean, this is winter. We've got like six feet of snow. That's crazy. And he was adamant that we do it. And so I was like, I called the platoon leader uh, with the equipment platoon. He had to understand. I mean, the roads over there in the mountains were like 12 feet wide. And they were dirt. There was was nothing. And all we had was a... It's one lane one lane traffic, essentially. Yeah. And we had a five-ton dump truck with a 10-foot wide plow. <laughs> so 12-foot wide road, mountain area with a 10-foot plow. Chances are something's not going to go well. <laughs> and even, even if it's just a breakdown, we're not going to get that, that truck out of there. At right. least not till spring. Right. <laughs> so... I told the platoon leader as I came in, I was like, do you have the keys to the salt bunker for the, the salt and sand, which was stored in an old Soviet uh, air bunker? He gave them to me. I'm like, I said, good. Now, now, what I want you to do is I want you to come back to my office in, in an hour and ask me for the keys. He's like, what are you talking about, sir? I'm like, just do what I told you. So he came back in an hour and asked for the keys. I'm like, I said, hey, I got a mission for you. You got to go plow the road. You got to get the, the, the dump truck, uh, put the sander spreader on there, get the salt, load up the plow. Um, and I'm like, I said, now go do that. He did that. He reported back. Platoon sergeant came up. I was like, sir, we're all set. All we need is the keys to the salt shed, the salt bunker. I was like, I don't know where they're at. I'm like, I think I gave them back to your platoon leader. And they were in my desk drawer. <laughs> and he's like, so he went off and was looking for the platoon leader. 45 is, I was like, I can't find them. We don't have the keys, sir. We need the keys. I'm like, I, I don't know where they're at. <laughs> great, great theater. Lots of activity <laughs> it, it was, leading to nothing. Know, and I just kept telling battalion, it's like, yeah, we're, we'll, I said, we can't find the keys. We can't find the platoon leader. So <laughs> at the end of the day, it was about 2300, 2330 that night. And uh, they finally called and said, well, we don't need to run the mission. You can do it tomorrow. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Like, perfect decision. You landed where I've been the entire time. Thank yeah. you. So. All right. So uh, I think every episode we've done so far, we, we've done, uh, we've asked this question. If you had to choose between the following two possibilities, and of course, you've already lived one of these possibilities, uh, but the other one is, is, uh, is an interesting <laughs> dichotomy thinking about these two together. Would you join the military, which you've clearly done? And think about you're 25 years old. You haven't joined the military yet. You didn't do the ROTC thing. You're not who you are. You just, you're just you a 25-year-old trying to figure out what he wants to do with his, the rest of his life. So join the military or spend six months, and every week of those six months you're performing stand-up comedy, your own material, and you're getting in front of strangers once a week for six months. Yeah, no, I'd probably still join the military. <laughs> that was quick. I, I think I have a sense of humor, but I, I really hate public speaking and being up in front of the stage. But you're pretty good at it. I could be tolerable at times, yes. No, you're pretty good. You've been doing very well. I'm not, if no, you my, count this as public speaking. Uh, well, I don't, because this is in Paul's basement. 
and there's one stranger. To yeah. him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's actually managed to not insult me yet, so you're okay. <laughs> well, I did call you a nerd. Yeah. Well, that's that's true. I'm okay with that. That was a pretty safe play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't even make a crack about you being a vegan. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he said physical chemistry. Yeah. You're not going to offend him. <laughs> I forgot. Hey, so uh, do you have a little list of things piling up over there? Well, I had this question I wanted to ask because um, it sounds like you found creative ways to resist orders that you found to be unreasonable. And I know that there – actually, I don't fully know this, but I've heard that there's a culture of obey orders and that, you know the primacy of obedience in, in the military. Um, is there – did you find – that you were encouraged to have like a reasonable opposition to unreasonable orders or did you always have to kind of find your creative ways to uh disobey when you fought when you felt justified that's that's a really good question it is (laughs) that's one of those loaded questions he doesn't mean it to be loaded. no i know it's so i i will say i I think i um and i'm only going to talk for myself, my opinion, it, it, there's a couple of things. So one, in general, my opinion of, of the military and the Army, uh, and particularly the Army National Guard, um, is is this. They they encourage, um, and frankly, I think they, they support um, the concept of respectfully challenging orders uh, and plans uh, to a point. So I, I don't think... I think everybody that I've ever worked with and been around is at least uh, maybe I've been very fortunate um, with my commanders. I know Paul's had his opinions of a few of them that we've worked for, but um, in general, they've all been very uh, accepting and tolerant of a little bit of pushback. Um, they actually have encouraged uh, at least me to be able to challenge, uh, you know, and throw out ideas, uh, different concepts that might be employed. So I've always felt comfortable um with my leadership being able to challenge what's out there the, the cult you're right absolutely right the culture of you you are given an order you you don't really at the end of the day have any say um but they've at least entertained allowing you a chance to say your piece um and then either adjusted or stuck to their guns and said that's what you're going to go do um I, again even those, those situations in bosnia um at the end of the day i, I think they that individual didn't hold a grudge. It wasn't, you know, blatantly disrespectful to them. I just, I, I tried to highlight that I didn't think it was a good, a good decision, um, at least from my perspective. Um, and I carried the day probably a little, you know, less out of military discipline than than I should have been. Um, having gone into a combat theater, I would say it was the same thing. And in particular, the National Guard, I think, is, you know, just tell somebody what you want done you don't always have to give them the brutal detail of how to do it in your mind because everything changes the minute that person's not not around and so mm. soldiers will adapt um leadership will adapt to get the mission done and if they believe in the mission and they know what their mission is and it's clear um and they know that somebody's got their back i think that to me is always what i've seen his has driven the the military to to succeed mm. Yeah, the best senior leaders I've I've been around are the ones that are very good at describing what needs to be mm-hmm. true and yeah. and why it needs to be true, and then uh, support uh, the lower units in figuring out how to go do that. But right. take a backseat support role, and I find that's quite effective because the lower level unit mm-hmm. has a much better sense of the details on the ground, and they can problem right. solve for themselves much better than somebody in some giant tent 
Yeah, uh, no, I absolutely agree. They're clicks um, behind. Yeah, you know, and I've seen it time and time again. I mean, it was uh, in Afghanistan when I was there. The 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 soldiers would find more creative ways of actually getting the job done and probably getting it done better um, and probably even safer than what you know 15 guys sitting at the staff uh, you know operations table had planned out and thought and tried to walk through so um, I give credit to the soldiers and the, and the NCOs in particular to always being able to make everything happen that had to happen. Yeah Brian and I have been very fortunate to have worked with a lot yeah. of really good NCOs for sure. Yeah they may not be the guys you'd want to you know is the sergeant major of the army at the end of the day but i, I wouldn't uh, the, the folks that i had i had some is a battalion xo you kind of get tagged with uh, um was it, the cast-offs from some of the line units the guys that were great in their prime but are now older and a little rounder in the bellies and uh, maybe a little free-flowing with their their lips <laughs> so um it, you know and i had a a giant hodgepodge of folks like that at the battalion headquarters. Um, You're talking about when you were battalion XO. Yeah, engineer. battalion XO. Yeah, and yeah. it, it was something came back to me when I was a lieutenant in the infantry. Uh, we called him Captain America, fresh off active duty, 82nd Airborne guy. Um, came in and you know he hated the National Guard. Uh, he was only doing it to get educational benefits to go to dental school. Um, by the end of the first AT, he looked at me. He's like everybody's got a place in the National Guard. Is it, and, and, he, and it was actually a, a revelation to him, I think, but the way he said it has always carried me. as like, you're right. We may not be the most physically fit, the, the prettiest, you know, the most knowledgeable and all the, the nuts and bolts of every military detail or tactic, but in the National Guard, everybody finds a function that's meaningful to the team. Um, it, like I said, in Afghanistan, we had a couple NCOs that, you, you wouldn't want them running a platoon, but as an E7, you could turn them loose and they could go and wheel and deal and get any parts for, for vehicles. They could get those parts on a helicopter and flown out any time of day. And, you know, and they took care of the unit and they did it without having to be told or conjoled uh, into it. I mean, they were, you know, if you needed anything and just told them, you could sleep comfortably because you knew by the time you woke up in the morning, Sergeant Jackson or Sergeant Master Sergeant Jones would have it done and taken care of. Mm. And, and I, frankly, I think every organization needs a few people like that. Yeah. <laughs>